Good morning, everybody. We're going to begin momentarily. Today's class is dedicated by very, very dear people, Jackie and Wilson Go, in honor of Jackie's beloved brother, who died at the age of 22 on June 25th. May your brother, Jackie, John John's soul, Find peace, comfort, and solace. Dedicated with love by Jackie and Wilson. May his soul rest in peace and continue to serve as a beacon of inspiration and blessing for you and all of your loved ones. And thank you very much. May God bless you in all of your endeavors, materially and spiritually, and to continue to be ambassadors of love, light, hope, and truth in the Philippines and throughout our entire world. Thank you. So, please turn in your source sheets to page 149, Se'iv Ches, chapter 8. This is the last paragraph of the Maimer. It begins, Valpize Yuvon, you see Valpize Yuvon, Inyan Tainas In this paragraph, we have the summation of the entire Maimer. Valpiza Yuvon, based on everything that we learned, now we'll finally understand Inyan Taina Samaraglam, the deeper meaning in the Taina, in the complaint, in the lamentation, in the revolt of the spies. Sha'amru, they said, that Eretz Yisrael, the nations, the tribes living in the land of Canaan, are more powerful than he. There is no way the spies said that we can enter the land and defeat our enemies and conquer the region and settle there. It's impossible. The spies, as we remember, came down. They came back from their visit and they alarmed the nation and they inculcated into their hearts profound panic, hysteria, and terror. And they made them so emotionally <laughs> traumatized by the prospects of entering into the land, telling them that everybody will die by the sword, their wives and their children. So even if the adult men were ready to fight, but who wants to see their families be killed, be slain? And they said everybody will be slain in battle, there will be no mercy, you are dealing with giants, you are dealing with fortified cities, muscular Men, powerful, mighty, ferocious warriors who will simply lay waste the entire nation of Israel. We simply don't have the ability, we don't have the capacity to enter into the land. As they put it, it's a land that eats up its inhabitants. It will consume all of us. So now we're going to understand, after this whole long mimer, we're going to understand this conversation, but we're not discussing it from a physical point of view in terms of conquering the physical land, which is a particular geographical region in the Middle East. We have a principle in Shabbos, Samach Gimel, the Gemara says, No Pasuk should be extricated from its literal meaning. So there's always the basic literal story of the spies going to the land and coming back and dissuading the people from entering. Everybody's overtaken by fear. They say, we're not going, and they weep the whole night, etc., but there's also in Torah, as we discussed so many times, there's many layers. 
of interpretation, and they're all interconnected. They all evolve from each other. Just like tears evolve from deeper emotions, and the tears are very physical. The emotions are not necessarily tangible with your hand, but they are the cause of the tears. So every story in Torah operates on different layers. There's the layer of the story that is very tangible and concrete and physical and practical, and then there are the deeper layers of the story, the emotional layers, the spiritual layers, the metaphysical layers, and they're all interconnected and they're all true. That's why we say in Torah there's Pshat and Remez and Rush and Said, Pardes. In other words, there's different dimensions and different perspectives. There's different lenses through which you can capture each story. Just as when you tell me a story, I can hear the story and experience it from different perspectives, depending on which glasses I'm wearing, depending on which lenses I'm employing in order to look at that story. Right? The same person can tell two people a story, but the two people heard different stories. Somebody maybe who has more sensitive lenses or who has deeper lenses or more penetrating lenses hears in that same story a deeper dynamic or momentum that is unfolding, which the other person would not hear. They just take the story at face value. So the Zohar says in Parshas Baloischa, woe unto the person who strips Torah from its inner meanings and only sees the external layer, the physical layer. The Zohar says, woe is somebody who only sees a body and doesn't see the soul inside of it. And he calls it, the Zohar calls it, Kufa Deiraisa and Ashmasa Deiraisa, the body of Torah and the soul of Torah. So this is a very important fundamental intro for all the Maimarim that we learn. Because basically, Chsidis is what's called Pnimiyasa Torah, Nishmasa Deiraisa. There's Kufa Deiraisa, there's the body of Torah, like the physical body of Torah. And that's the way the divine wisdom assumes a physical, concrete incarnation. And then there's Nishmasa Deiraisa, the soul of Torah, which vivifies the body. So here is a classic example for this. We have the story of the spies. The story of the spies on a literal level is about 10 spies versus 2 spies who had this great debate if the Jews can ever enter into this land. And the ten prevailed, and there was a national hysteria, and the Jewish people decided we're not going into the land. Let's go back to Egypt. Better to have died in Egypt and live there as slaves than than, than die a natural death as slaves, than go into the land of Israel, try to be free, and get killed. But now, here, after this whole Maimah, we're going to explore and find the meaning of the story from a deeper spiritual point of view. So he says, now we'll understand what the Miraglim said, that the people in Israel, the nations, the tribes in Canaan are more powerful than he. And our sages say, look at their words, they don't say, they don't say that the people there are more powerful than us. They say they're more powerful than he. Who's he? So our sages say, it's talking to Barashem. This is an expression from the Gemara in Saita that he brought in the beginning of the Maimer. Even the master doesn't have the power to take out his own vessels from the house. Even he has no access. It's like you'll say, this house was taken by thugs. The squatters have overtaken the house. And even the owner, Balabayas, can't go in and take out his furniture. He can't take out his couch. He can't take out his safe. He can't take out his utensils. The Balabayas himself can't take out the Kalim, which is an incredible accusation that the spies say that even God himself, so to speak, 
lost control. He lost. He can't do it. It's too powerful even for him. What, what, does, what does all of this mean? So again, we have the explanations on a literal level, but this Mimer now says that they're also talking about a deeper layer of existence. There's a famous expression of one of the great Kabbalists, Rabbi Menachem Mazaria Fano, which means the stories of Torah are really talking about spiritual realities. They intimate to physical realities. The Ramban put it a little differently. He said the Torah is talking about physical realities, but alluding to spiritual realities. What this means is that all of the stories in the Torah really can be read as an internal dialogue between different parts of your own brain. Yes, the stories employ people and names and regions, but essentially those are metaphors. Those are physical illustrations of an inner story, of an inner dialogue, of an inner conversation that's happening in you. So the conflict between Cain and Hevel, or Yosef and his brothers, or Yitzchak and Yishmael, or Yaakov and Esau, they're all conflicts that happened in history. But really, says the Ramah, these are really internal spiritual conflicts. The physical people are just a physical manifestation of those stories, of those dialogues, of those struggles, of those challenges in a very tangible world, which also explains what the Medrash says, that 2,000 years before the world, there was a Torah. What do you mean there was a Torah? Most of the Torah is talking about stories post-creation. How could there be a Torah? The Chazal say, Two millennia. Pre-creation was there a Torah? I mean, the whole Torah is about creation and post-creation. The patriarchs and the matriarchs and the tribes and the descent into Egypt and the Egyptian exile and the Egyptian bondage and emancipation and the, the Sinai and the journeys in the desert and the building of the sanctuary and Moshe's passing all the way at the end. Well, what do you mean it was there 2,000 years before creation? And I thought that creation also created time. So there's no 2,000 years before creation. Time itself is a creation. The answer, one of the answers to this is that when we're learning about Torah, we see Torah as physical stories of physical characters that happen at a particular moment in time and at a particular location in space, which is all true. But there is a higher dimension of Torah where all of it is essentially a spiritual reflection on some of the most important truths of existence and beyond existence. This is a fundamental understanding as a prelude to the entire perspectives, to the perspectives of Kabbalistic and Hasidic teachings into almost all the stories of the Torah. And here is a classic example. The Rebbe sees the debate between the spies, the ten spies and the two spies, as a struggle happening between the mind and the heart between our primal drives and the other things going on in our psyche. And we now go back to all of the pieces of the puzzle that we spoke about in earlier classes, and this has been a long stretch. So we now come to the eighth chapter. It's really the ninth inning, but it's the eighth chapter. The grand finale. So now, says the Rebbe, listen to his words. Shetan nosam hoysataina amitis. The taina, the complaint, the fear of the spies was authentic. You're not talking about 
lies, falsehood. So now you're going to tell me, what do you mean? It says that the Miraglam were shakronim. They were liars. The fact that the nation accepted what they said, and the fact that Moshe sent 10, 12 of the greatest leaders of Israel, Kulam Rashi B'nai Yisrael Hema, they were all leaders, they were qualified people. Moshe chose them, he picked them. He handpicked them. And he sent them, Rashi says, they were great people when they were sent. He says, this means that they were saying something profound. They were saying something authentic. Because if one understands how intense and how primal the midos of a person are, especially the midos of toyu, the midos of that, our most primal state of being, known as toyu, the world of chaos, you cannot introduce any influence of moichin, any influence of the intellectual faculties of cognition, of reckoning, of discernment, of analysis, of perspective, of values, they will not work. In other words, the Meraglam are touching on some a very fundamental truth in a person's life, and that is that the seven nations living in Canaan are a metaphor for seven Midas. So when we speak about going to the land and conquering and defeating the seven nations, it's really metaphoric language for dealing with my own seven Midas, with my own primal drives. And those primal drives are so intense, are so powerful, that nothing in my system can possibly even negotiate with them. Never mind suppress them. Never mind defeat them. Never mind change them. That's not happening. That's how we open the Mimer. And from this, the Mimer went in to discuss what Midas are and the power of Midas. And this is true even in Midas of Tikkun. Never mind in Midas of Toyu. And as he said right in the second chapter of the Maimah, that the Midas of a person are so primal and so intense, they're pre-verbal, they're pre-machshava, they're pre-seichel. And therefore they cannot be altered, they cannot be changed. And that's how we went into the whole explanation that in there's always change. In Midas, there's no change. Meichen is based on change. It's based on growth. It's based on exploring another angle, another perspective, reversing my position of yesterday. It's the openness to constantly change. And that's what a real Baal is. Real intellectualism is the openness to constantly discover new things, to expand my horizons, to reverse my positions from yesterday. The worst thing for an intellectual, for a scientist, is to remain stuck in a position based on biases and blind spots. It's the greatest danger to any science, to any intellectual discovery in any branch of wisdom, in any field of wisdom, whether it's mathematics or medicine, whether it's psychology or um, cosmology, astrophysics, whatever it is. And Lahavdil certainly entire that way. It's always the openness for new things. Did I miss a detail? Did I miss an angle? Did I miss a layer? Did I not understand the question well? Did I miss this proof? There's always that growth and that change. Midas, he says. Midas ain't behem shinuyim. 
the midos tivim, midos tivim, as he said, your in, these are your innate primal uh, drives and proclivities. He says they capture who I am. It's not what I have, what I possess. It's who I am. <laughs> And I have to respect that in me, I have to respect that in my spouse, I have to respect that in my children, and I have to respect that in other people. And all of the avoid in the midos that we speak about, the Rebbe says, all of the avoid that we speak about, changing your midos, tikkun hamidos. He went through in chapter two what that all means. I can change how they're harnessed, how they're channeled, how they're expressed. But the core of the Midah, he says, is not changeable. And the reason is because the Midah is a mirror. Midah is a primal drive. It's a mirror of characteristics that are embedded in the essence of my soul. And he gave an example that is the difference between Rotzen and Seichel. Seichel is something the soul has, it possesses, it cultivates, but it's independent of the soul. And even when there's no I, that my ideas can still remain for posterity. Ratzon, by definition, is I want. When there's no I, there's no want. The value of Ratzon is that I want it. As we explained this at length, the value of Ratzon, the value of Seichel is not that I said it. It's that there's an idea. There's an idea outside of me. It's in me. I cultivated it. I developed it. I believe it. I think about it. I wrote it down. I publicized it. But it's not me. The definition of an idea is not me. If the definition of an idea is me, it's not a real idea. The definition of desire is I. I want. I want. If there's no I, the whole point of Ratzin is gone. And that's why he said with Ratzin... There's no big ruts and small ruts. And they say, oh, this doesn't really have value, this ruts, and get rid of it. Because the value of rutsoin is not the thing I want. It's that I want it. And if I want it, that is what gives it the value. It's very important. In relationships, this is so important. We did a marriage workshop a few nights ago here in Muncie. So I opened it up. And uh, Rabbi Moshe Zev Lam, who's a marriage therapist here in Muncie, did the workshop. We had a very nice crowd here from Muncie. People drove in from Cincinnati, <laughs> 10 hours from Manhattan, which is not, which is an hour, but it was really nice. So we're continuing it next Tuesday, next Tuesday night, about how to communicate with your spouse. But he shared a story of a, of a, of a person who came to him for therapy. It was so meaningful. A very emotional story. There was this boy. There was this uh, father. I guess he went on a trip. Anyway, he, I don't know exactly the circumstances, but he bought gifts for his children. So for the older children, he bought a pen, a nice pen, a Parker pen or another fancy pen. And for the little ones, there were two little ones, I think a three-year-old and an eight-year-old. And he gave them, he bought them a little fire fire engine truck. Okay. So the three-year-old got the fire engine truck, and I think the eight, maybe the six-year-old or the eight-year-old, a little bit older, got the got the fire engine truck, and the older kids got the pen. The problem is that the three-year-old's fire truck broke. <laughs> I don't know, the battery died or it broke. It broke. So he was hysterical. He was crying and crying, and he was hysterical. Nuvas Tutman, the six-year-old didn't want to give up his fire truck, his fire engine. 
right? So the older boy, there was an older boy, I guess, the teenager, and he says, I have an idea. Let's give the six-year-old a pen. I'll give him my pen because he's a big boy. And he'll give the fire engine truck to the three-year-old because our six-year-old is already a very big boy. So lovingly, the father took away the fire truck from the six-year-old and gave him a pen because he's a big boy. And he gave the fire truck to the three-year-old. And everybody kept on telling him what a big boy he is, and therefore he gives the fire truck to his brother, and he ends up with a pen. Seems like a nice story, right? And everybody was, of course, very thankful to the older boy who gave up his pen to calm down the three-year-old. And Mr. Lamb says, 20 years later, 30 years later, this person is sitting in his office and crying. And he says that all night he cried. That big boy who lost his fire truck, that six-year-old, cried all night that he lost his fire truck. He didn't want the pen. (laughs) He didn't want the pen. He didn't want to be the big boy. He was forced to be the big boy. But for him, the fire truck was so much more important. Because this is what he wanted. <laughs> In terms of objective value, we know what is more important. But my desire is not about objective value. It's about what I want. And that's such an important idea. So for 20, 20 years, he carried this. And he had to cry it out years later. He said all night he was crying in his room. He couldn't show it. Why couldn't he show it? Because he was the big boy. He didn't want to be humiliated even more. But 20 years later, he was having a difficulty expressing emotions to his spouse and to his children because he shut down many of his emotions that night because the feeling was too painful. Now you could say, oh, that's part of growing up. Somebody in the crowd said, oh, that's life. That's just growing up. That's how life works. It's true. That's exactly how life works. But we have to acknowledge these little stories which seem insignificant, but they're very significant. Because these emotional memories in a child's life when you're an adult can impact you so significantly and they're paralyzing me and they're suppressing or destroying or eliminating or holding back a certain part of me that is so authentic and is so important for life and for the joys of life, and the experience of life, but I can't have it because I shut down that. So one has to be extremely sensitive to the difference of Ratzin and Seichel. So he says, Midas is the way Ratzin comes down in a lower space, in those drives and then emotions that I have. But it's a manifestation of Ratzin, which is, the desire of the soul. And in a way, he said it's even deeper than Ratzin. So when the Miraglim say, Ki chazak hu mimenu, the seven Midas are untouchable. Ki chazak hu mimenu, do not try to change them. Do not try to silence them. Do not try to repress them. My primal drives are non-negotiable immutable, they are ferocious, they are primal, they are innate, they are essential. And because of that, they're untouchable. There's no way 
we can go into Eretz Yisrael. We, the Jewish people, can go into Eretz Yisrael. Again, this is a metaphor for the seven Midois of Tahu, whose intensity is incredibly powerful. So therefore, the Miraglim say, the whole concept of Meichen has no role to play. You're going to introduce intellect. You're going to introduce ideas. You're going to introduce values. They have absolutely no role to play. And the Rebbe says, this is a taina amitis. This is real stuff. Because if you don't understand that this is real, there's no getting to step two. You have to understand how real the statement of the Miraglim is. You have to understand that it's a taina amitis. This is not a fake thing. People want to ignore their primal job. Say, eh, it's nothing. Grow up. Be a man. Very often, when we grow up, we understand, or we're made to understand, the concept of bittel, or the concept of morality, or the concept of values, or the concept of avodas Hashem, as a path in which you have to disregard your pettiness, <laughs> disregard your emotions, because, come on, just be a person, be a man, be a woman, be a mensch. There's truth, this is what God wants. You say, yeah, but I, I experienced this, and, and this is what I'm dealing with. I don't care. Just grow up. What do they tell you? Grow up. Don't be a baby. Don't be a crybaby. Fire engine? <laughs> That's what you're looking for, a fire engine truck? I'm giving you a pen. <laughs> give you a check for $10,000, you'll say, no, give me a lollipop. Lollipop costs uh, 25 cents. Okay, today maybe 90 cents. A lollipop? I'm giving you a check for 10,000 bucks. Makes a lot of sense, right? So we often understand, or we could understand, that the idea of serving God, of, of being a good person, of living a moral life, living a life based on Torah, Torah, mitzvahs, what does that mean? That means that I disregard, I have to disregard a certain part of me. The part of me that is, that is petty, that is babyish, that is childlike, that may have all these types of emotions like, forget it, get out of it. This mimer is telling us something very shocking. The way to transcendence travels through <laughs> My midas. And maybe take this with a grain of salt. The way to transcendence travels through my pettiness. Because what you're calling petty, what I'm calling petty, is just the concrete manifestation of a deeper drive. My primal drive. The Rebbe says in this Maimah that the midas are not created by Seichel. They're, they're affected by Seichel, but they're not created by Seichel. The Midas is who I am. And you cannot serve God if you don't know who you are. You certainly could, you could serve God, but it's not going to be so wholesome. And you cannot be in a relationship if you don't know who you are. You can't be in a relationship that is real if your I is not present in that relationship. And if my Midas are mirrors of my I... I have to be able to respect them, to embrace them, 
to give them a voice so that they can be present in this relationship with my wife, with my husband, with my child, with God, with myself, and with anybody else in the world. Did you understand what I just said? Reb Michal from Sydney, you're with us. You understand? You're trying to understand. I don't know if you can understand this. You have to feel this. Now, as I said, we spoke in previous shiurim. There's midos in their source. There's the way midos come down as visceral emotions that I'm feeling in my body. Whatever that is, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling anxious. (laughs) I'm stressed. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling frustrated, misunderstood, resentful, right? Negative. I'm feeling animosity. I'm feeling a lot of fear. Those are very visceral, emotional reactions. And you could say, eh, just ignore them. They're, they're nothing. They're, they're stupid. They're immoral. They're coming from Yetzirah. He says, wait, you have to understand that these are simply the way your primal drives, your deep, deepest midas, which is pre-verbal, pre-machshava, pre-seichel, higher than seichel. They're being manifested. Now, seichel does play a significant role because, as he says, seichel serves as a maramakan. It labels and categorizes people and experiences and things to be able to show the primal drives where to be expressed and how to be expressed. This is dangerous zone. This is a positive zone. So let's say my spouse tells me something, or your spouse tells you something, and you're feeling misunderstood, or you're feeling rejected, and therefore you're feeling very lonely, and that's painful, and it creates a distance. That may be a very physical, tangible emotion that you push it, feel, you could feel it in your body. It's not just an idea, it's not just an idea, it's not a piece of Gemara. It's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's an emotion. You may be exploding with it, you may be imploding, it may be benign, it may be very intense. What was the role of Seichel here? Seichel took the words that your spouse said and labeled them as being a message that undermines your connection to each other. Those words were processed by your mind as words that represent the fact that you are lonely, that you're misunderstood in this marriage. Listen carefully. But why does loneliness make you feel rejected? Why does loneliness make you feel bad? Why doesn't it make you feel good? That is because you have a primal drive that you want to be attached, you want to be connected. You don't want to be lonely. So the way this primal drive was channeled and the way it came out was that right now you are very upset and you feel so misunderstood by your spouse and you go into your own world and you may space out, you may tune out, you may detach, or you may get angry, you may get passive-aggressive, whatever it is. Your seichel played a role in how it was channeled and how it emerged, how it was birthed. As he said, seichel are the mothers and the fathers who birth a child. They birth the midos into being. That's why we have a mommy. But the mommy doesn't create the soul of the child. Seichel doesn't create the midah. The midah is pre-verbal, pre-seichel, pre-machshava, pre-everything. The midah comes from the etzim nefesh the essence of the soul. Come the meraglam and say, ki chazak humimenu, just let it go. 
Don't go into your primal drives. Just let it go. (laughs) And that would mean that if my primal drives are wounded, if my primal drives have been hijacked by toxicity, by trauma, just let them go. There's nothing you can do. And this is where the Miraglim say we cannot conquer that space. And the Rebbe says their time is MS. Why? Because Meichen cannot have a say into the world of Midas. Midas are too ferocious, they're too real, they're too primal, they're too innate. They transcend Meichen. Your Seichel cannot have an impact. We cannot conquer the seven Midas. They are too ferocious, they are too powerful, they are too intense. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Wow. You understand the seriousness of this. So if my primal drives have been wounded, their expression has been wounded, which is what real trauma does. The Miraglim say, It's just too powerful. Seichel has no say, because Seichel is not a balabas. They come before me. They come before Seichel. They're like, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to feel. Don't tell me how to experience. I was here before you. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. <laughs> you want to fight? I'll kill you. And the more Seichel tries, the more Midas prevail. And as he said before in the Maimer, not only does Seichel not have ownership over the Midas, Seichel doesn't even show up in their world. Seichel doesn't even show up. Seichel is an Erpnimi. An Erpnimi can only affect others by going into their world, and these Midas are untouchable. Now comes the other side. Ah. After you understand this, or you feel this, or you get this, Omnam, Kashevayas, Kolivesam al when Kalev silences the whole people to Moshe, it says, the expression in Chumash is Vayas Kalev Sa'amel Moshe. Kalev silences the whole nation to Moshe. What does it mean to Moshe? So Rashi says, he starts speaking about Moshe. He says, this is the only thing that Moshe did. He took his, and everyone thought he's going to start slandering Moshe. And then he spoke about the greatness of Moshe. The Rebbe says there's another interpretation. He directs the attention of the nation. He silences them through Moshe. What's Moshe? Moshe tells the Jewish people more than once in Chumash. In Parshas B'Shalach he says, What are we that you're attacking us? What is V'nachnuma? The Zohar says, Ma represents Chachma. Chachma is two words. Koyach Ma. The Koyach of what? Chachma represents Bittl. What is Bittl? Bittl is the ability to say, Ma, what? It's the ability to wonder, to be inquisitive, to be curious. It's the ability not to be fixed in any type of comfort zone, intellectual or emotional. 
It's the ability to say, ma koyach. The koyach is the strength, the power, the faculty, the capacity to say, ma what? That's why chachma is always responsible for discovery. Chachma is the seminal point that shows up in your brain, in your mind. It's the epiphany. Aha, if the light bulb goes off, it's the lightning in the thicket of darkness. Is a lightning and suddenly you see it and you say, ah, I got it. <laughs> Chachma always comes from a place of deep, deep humility, deep intellectual humility. When I suspend my intellectual ego and I open myself up to a new truth that has transcended me and eluded me until this very moment and Chachma opens me up to this because Chachma is my ability to say, Ma, I don't know. I am not the master. I am not the expert. It's like in a relationship. The greatest relationships are not the relationships in which I know you and I put you in a box. It's the relationships where I continuously open myself up to learn more about you with humility and respect and compassion. And you do the same for me. And then you, we help each other do the same for ourselves. Do I really know me? Do I know me? <laughs> How could I know you if I don't even know me? <laughs> and I have spent a lot of time with myself. <laughs> do you know you? But when I realize that I don't know you and I'm open to that discovery, so then I help you realize that you don't know you and you yourself are open to that discovery. That's all part of Chachma. Koyach Ma also means something else. It's the Koyach of Ma. It's the Koyach of Bittel. Ma means what? I don't have a fixed model. Ego is the antithesis of Ma. Moshe Rabbeinu said about himself, V'nachnu Ma. I am a channel. This is not about nepotism. This is not about dictatorship. This is not about me owning your life. And that's what Chachma represents in a person. It's the Koyach to say ma, it's the Koyach to say what. And it's the Koyach that allows itself to become a channel for something larger than it. Because it's not based on identity. It's the ability to go beyond identity. Vayas kolev esamel Moshe. Kalev silences the nation to Moshe. In response to Meraglim, Kalev says, we have to understand Moshe. Moshe is v'nachnuma, chachma. And the bitl of chachma creates a chlishes bahamidis v'ashayich shatiyah And then, the mind and the heart can make peace. Then, the midis can be affected in the most positive sense by the moichem through the bitl of Meichen. And this is what we remember, the whole last piece of the Maimer, when he discussed how can Meichen have any impact on Midas. The primal drive is untouchable, that's what the Miraglam are saying, and it's true. And the fact is that Meichen do impact Midas in more than one way, first of all. As I said before there, the Maimer they label things, they categorize things even deeper than that. The moichen are responsible for the development of midas, from the amygdala to the limbic brain to the prefrontal cortex. Ibur, yinika, and moichen, from the midas of an infant and a toddler and a child growing up to more developed midas, to the midas that are more mature, and this is constantly happening in people's lives. But how does that even happen? How does Seichel have any say into that world of Midas? And the answer is because real Seichel is not about Seichel. It's not about I understand. It's about 
introducing me to Bittel, introducing me to the Ein Saif, opening me up to the infinity that encompasses everything and is the source of everything, including the source of all the primal drives. You're right. When we have, we have difficult experiences that shock us and it's hard for us to make peace with them. They don't assimilate easily into our system. We have to really embrace them with silence. We have to really pay tribute to all of the emotions that are coming up and to all of the experiences that are coming up, to all of our visceral reactions. And that will open us up to the primal drives that we have. And you don't get rid of those primal drives, but you can open up the primal drives to the silence of Moshe. Vayayis kol of Esha'amel Moshe. Moshe couldn't speak. Moshe was a kvad peo, kvad lashem. He told God, I'm not a man of words. I am pre-verbal. Don't defeat and change your primal drives through arguments, through rationalizations, through justifications, through external pressure or internal pressure. I got to be a person. I got to be a mensch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your primal drives will haunt, will, will win that war. But only if you can introduce real bittle. What's real bittle? Real bittle means the space where my eye meets God's eye. The space where I can recognize the ain't safe, the infinite. The ability to be able not to label things, not to categorize things. You see, Seichel has two aspects to it. One is the intellectual need to label, to categorize, to define, which is amazing, but that's the external part of Seichel. The real internal part of Seichel is to open myself up to the source, to allow everything to be traced back to its original core, and the original core of everything is Achdos, Ein Seif. My primal drives also come from there. So when Seichel, especially Chachma, which the Nekudah of Chachma is Bittl, opens me up to that space, now my primal drives themselves open themselves up to growth. They themselves don't become uptight. They open up. (laughs) I'll give you an interesting example. You know, every fruit has seeds that allow for the procreation of the fruit. Every plant comes with a method. It's brilliant how this was made, that it should be able to generate, regenerate. And if you study fruits, you'll see that every fruit, based on the quality and the nature and the climate and the region where it grows, has seeds that are most conducive to guarantee its procreation. It's incredible, the wisdom here. And there's always a method. How is this seed going to get replanted? Sometimes it needs the wind to scatter it, to blow it away. Sometimes the water. Sometimes it has its own wings, its own airplanes, its own parachutes, you know, the dandelion. (laughs) Its own parachute that goes... There are seeds that naturally 
people swallow and then they come out with the excrement, which traditionally was done in the earth. And then it gets planted again. Same is true animals who eat these vegetables or fruits, these fruits. An interesting thing is about the peach. The peach, you know, the pit inside the peach, it contains the seeds. That's why it's so hard. Because they didn't want you just to destroy the pit. Because then the seeds get destroyed. So those that pit in the middle of the peach is so powerful because it contains the treasure. It contains the seeds. Now try cracking open that pit. You can't. It is so tough. You can't crack it open. But here's the miracle of nature. You take the, this, the pit of the peach and you put it into the earth. And the earth has those elements, those nutrients that the pit just opens up. And the seeds emerge and they're replanted and a new peach tree can grow. You take a hammer, say, I'm going to beat this pit up. I'm going to crush it. Good luck. You can be a mighty guy. Take the pit. It's going to win you. You put it in the earth. <laughs> it opens up. I'm a chaya. So he says, you're going to fight the middas. You're missing the point. But you put the middas into chachma. You put chachma into the middas. Vayas kolavis amal moisha. Bittel v'nachno ah. Then the middays become flexible. They become open. They're not threatened. You didn't beat the primal drives by negating their authenticity. No. You introduced Ein Saif into them. And that's the power of Moichen to affect Midas. That's why Moichen could be a Maramakim for Midas. That's why Moichen can develop Midas into Ibor, into Yenika, into Moichen, everything he discussed earlier in the Maimer. Why? Because Moichen, real Moichen, the Pnimius of Moichen, especially Chachma, all of Moichen, especially Chachma, is Bittel. That's what does it. And this is where healing comes from. Because this takes the primal drives back to their own source. It takes them deeper into themselves. It takes them back to their own ayin. And whenever anything goes back to its own ayin, to its own source, Chachma gives you access to that ayin. Then, it can be, it can be healed. It can be recreated. It can become vulnerable and let go and be reprogrammed, so to speak. So my primal midas, I'm not going to change. This is my I. Chachma creates a link between your primal midas, between the midas and the source of midas. Because our middays come from Hashem's middays. But Hashem's middays himself don't define his own infinity. They're just a channel for his infinity. So when I can align the middays with the source of Ein Saif, what now happens is that my primal drives can have all the comfort that they need, the validation that they need, and therefore the healing that they need. And the interplay between Meichen and Midas is not one in which Meichen tries to suppress or repress or undermine or mitigate or compromise or crush Midas, but rather 
it creates alignment between the Midas and the Ein Saif, and therefore peace can reign. And that's the real function of Seichel in a person's life. And that's why Kalev said three things to the people of Israel. We can go up into the land. We can. You say we can't, I say we can. Second, we will ascend. Third, we will inherit the land. Yochal Nuchal means we can. It's that realization that you should never ever be afraid of your primal drives. Because as long as you can introduce Moshe, Venachno Ma and you have Pnimius Achachma, which is essentially Pnimius Attic, Pnimius Abba, Pnimius Attic, as he said earlier in the Maimon, Midas down here are a mirror of Rotson. And Chachma down in a lower space is a mirror of Tainug. That's Atik, that's the Pnimiyas, Pnimiyas HaChachma. So Yochel Nuchel is the Bittel Klali. Don't be afraid of your primal drives. You don't have to battle it. The Meraglim said, we're going to battle it. We'll be killed in the process. He said, no, Yochel Nuchel, you're not paralyzed. People feel all their emotions and they get so scared of what they're feeling and therefore either I have to suppress them or repress them unconsciously or run away from them or space out or I become overwhelmed or I become desperate or I become depressed. I feel like a loser. Yochel nuchal, don't worry. Your primal drives are not here to kill you. We just need that taste of bittel. We need that taste of ain't safe. We need to bring in the flavor of real, real infinity, real oneness, where my eye is not locked up in any form. It's really a channel of pure infinity, pre-verbal, pre-seichel, even pre-midays, pre-creation. This is where my eye is not stuck in anything. It's really open to the full grandeur of infinite oneness. Yochel nuchal, so don't be afraid of any emotion. You could contain it because the real you is bittel, which means it's a channel for the Ein Soif, which transcends any form and any definition and any label and any category and any description. That's Yochel Nuchal. And then he says, First you have to know that I can. Stop, say, stop saying I can't. Start saying I can. As somebody once said, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're probably right. So the first thing you have to say, Yochel Nuchal, stop being terrified by your emotions. There's no emotion inside of you that should terrify you, that should overwhelm you. It's not comfortable. I have to deal with it. I have to work it through. But don't, don't surrender to this attitude, to this mentality of defeat. Yochel Nuchal, I can. Because the I is not an ego. If the I is comes from ego, or the I just comes from rationalizations, of course you will lose. That's what the Miraglam said, and they're right. But vayas kolavis amel moisha. If you have the venachnu ma, ah, if my I is ready to embrace ayin, you're good. You'll be great. You'll rediscover yourself, and the midas will find their ultimate. Infinity. 
And then they're going to become channels for infinity. All your primal drives really want is to channel infinity into their in this, into this world. That's what they really want. So when you can align them with their own source, there's recovery. There's real recovery. This is deep stuff. means we're going to be able to go up, which represents accessing the infinite light. But it's still ethereal, it's still above. So then comes the third step. We're going to inherit the lights. When you yarshin something, you inherit something, it becomes mine. It becomes now manifested in me. That the lights of Toyu, which are infinitely intense, can ultimately be integrated into the world of Tikkun. So that the lights of chaos are integrated into the, the vessels of integration. Into the vessels of Tikkun. Tikkun means the world of healing, the world of correction, the world of integration, the world of balance. This Eiriz de Toyu. Eiriz de Toyu represents my primal Midas, where there's, it could be absolute Toyu, absolute chaos, absolute apocalypse, absolute intensity. Kalim of Tikkun are the structures. Can they ever make peace? The Miraglam said they're never going to make peace. There's no way. If you want to live in the world of Kalim, you're going to live in a compromised, mitigated, fake, false world. And if you want to live in the world of Iris de Tayu, you're going to live in a very intense and primal world, but it's not a world that can be integrated. And Kalev and Yeshua are saying, Yachal Nuchal, we can go up. Don't be afraid of though going up. Don't be afraid of those lights. And then the Arashnoisa. We can make those lights ours. So now my primal drives of Tikkun, of Tayu, instead of making my life chaotic, it becomes mine. I integrate it. I know how to use it. I know how to allow it to propel my life forward, not to overwhelm me. Shazui Tachlis Hakavana, this is the ultimate purpose. Shanishlam Haratzen. The desire of Hashem is fulfilled. Shanisava Kadish Barakhulis Layiz Barakh Diribitahtainim. The purpose of creation was that Hashem wanted to have a Diribitahtainim, a dwelling place in the lowest elements of reality. So the ultimate raise on the Yetra of creation was that Hashem says, I want to live among you. I want to have a Dira, a home a resident, and in your home, you're there with your entire essence. That's what a home is. A home is, what do they say? A home is the place that when you come there, they have to let you in. And a home is hopefully the place where you're not camouflaged. You don't have to wear masks in your home, pun intended. The home is the place where you are you. You're not there as a worker, as an employee, as a professional. Who's at home? I am at home. A home is a place where a husband and a wife and children want to be able to be fully themselves. So when we say Hashem wanted a dira b'tachtoinim, the Alter Rebbe used to say a dira means that the atzmos is there. Hashem in His pure, so to speak, infinite state. So the ultimate purpose was the synthesis, the integration between the infinite and the finite. Dira b'tachtoinim. Hashem wanted a dira b'tachtoinim. That's on the macrocosm. How does that begin in the microcosm that I should be able to create that link, that unity, that fusion between the Iris of Toyo and the Kalim of Tikkun? The Iris of Toyo represents the Midas, the seven Midas of Toyo, which are ferocious, 
which are primal, pre-verbal, pre-machshava, pre-seichel, even pre-middis of tikkun. These are the middis in their full intensity. And when you go into that place inside of yourself, there's no structure, there's no organization, there's no filters whatsoever. It's very, very powerful and it's very, very scary. And that's why the Jews said, okay, we can't go there. Let's just not go there. Let's create a, a, a life. Let's create a Judaism that is much more contained, even if it's much more superficial. <laughs> Let's be more superficial and more contained. You know, we'll smile to each other and we'll just get rid of that, sp- about that space. On a deeper level, what it means is once your prime primal drives are damaged, once there's trauma there, that's it. And this is what the Miraglim said, no. We can. We can go up all the way. We don't have to be afraid. And then furthermore, we can make them ours. Your Eiris of Toyo are not your enemies. They're not the enemies of Kalim of Tikkun. But the, but the pre- prerequisite for that is Vayas Kolavis Amel when you understand that the kalim of tikkun are here not to structure and kill the energy and the creativity, but rather to allow the bittel to shine, because that's what chachma really is, that's what seichel really is. It's to be able to introduce you to the pure infinity, which is not afraid of anything and can allow infinity to dwell in the finite, because bittel is not fixed even in what looks like infinity, that's also not bittel. So now you can have the fusion of the two, and then you fulfill the ultimate purpose of existence, which is that Hashem in His essence should dwell in this world in the lowest elements of reality. Of course. This is Geula, this is Geula consciousness. This is Geula consciousness. This is, this is the real Mashiach. <laughs> this is Geula consciousness. Question. You spoke about intellectualism being open-minded. Does that mean I should be open-minded about the foundations of Torah? Well, the foundations of Torah are true. If you're struggling with questions and you're sincerely trying to understand, then you should ask those questions. Judaism is not afraid of questions because it has answers. There's no mitzvah to introduce questions into somebody who doesn't have questions. There's no commandment to do that because the foundations of Torah are true. But if you're really struggling with something, it doesn't help to silence your mind and say, oh, I'm not allowed to ask. I'm not allowed to ask means I have no answers. So are you saying that we have to respect and acknowledge our core wants? Yes, that's what we're learning. That's part of what we're saying. Yes. Is the ego created by Hashem with the soul or does it come naturally? Oh, that's a complex question. But generally speaking, the ego that we were talking about is the ego that comes from brokenness, from insecurity, from the fact that I'm not a channel of infinity and therefore I have to replace that void by becoming stuck in a particular image that will give me validation. Next question. If my eye is really a channel for infinity, then what's left of it? Who is the one who is transcending himself? Great question. Well, when your eye is a channel of infinity, what's left of it is the divine. Your eye 
is a channel for Hashem. Like the Gemara says, Shlucha Shladam Kamaisa. A shliach of somebody represents the one who sent him. So when I'm your shliach, I am like you. That's the halacha. I can do things as though you did them. The power of agency in halacha is that I become like you. I become your representative. So when I redefine myself as a shliach of Hashem, shliach I am the manifestation of God in this world. And that's the truest eye. That's the deepest eye. And that's the eye that's infinite and it's invincible and it's destructible. It's the chelik elekami mal mamish. And that's where individual, so we learn in the beginning of the Bible, somebody said, individuality is so powerful. Where is the place where individuality becomes one with everything? And that's the real truth that we're learning here. That midas are very much about individuation. And do not try to destroy that. And do not try to call that immature. But if I can trace back my individuation to my own source, which is Ein Saif, so then I don't have to be threatened by my my individuation. On the contrary, my individuation can become extremely extremely power it can become an extremely powerful channel for infinity which part of the eye is the one that receives reward in heaven so the Gemara in Sanhedrin in chapter 11 discusses that it's basically the soul and the body together question from Texas is it ever possible to have an emotional reaction that comes from stuff we have accumulated like unhealthy thinking, a reaction to a negative experience, and be completely disconnected from our primal midas, or is it always connected? In other words, is it possible that sometimes our emotional reactions are really not coming from our midas? They're coming from stuff that are toxic, stuff that we accumulated, unhealthy thoughts that we have developed from ourselves or from other people, reactions to negative experiences, and they're really disconnected from us completely? Or is it always connected? Or is the Mimer saying that if I am having a strong reaction because of a previous negative experience, it's actually not the experience I'm reacting to, but the experience is just a trigger for my primal drives? Wow. This is such a good question. I have to compliment you for your question. Rabadam, what do you say? about our students here. We have the best and the brightest of America. What I, what I say is... Beautiful question. And the answer to your question is, I think what we're learning is the second option that you introduced. If I'm having a strong reaction because of a previous negative experience or certain ways of thinking that you can call toxic, destructive, negative it's not only the experience I'm reacting to, but the experience is triggering my primal drives. But what's important to understand is that my primal drives here have been tainted or traumatized or channeled or manipulated or went through a very intense experience because, so let's say this kid who was bullied or God forbid abused, or molested, or neglected. Trauma with a capital T, trauma with not a capital T. You speak about negative experiences we go through in life. What that causes me is that, yeah, I'm in a particular mode. 
And because I'm in a particular mood, I'm reacting to something that happens, and we call it an emotional memory, right? I may be aware of what happened. I may not be aware of what happened. I'm just experiencing a very intense emotion that was triggered because of all of these negative experiences that occurred in my life that caused me to think certain ways and process things certain ways. So that's all true, and you have to acknowledge that. But I have to acknowledge something deeper. It's not detached from my midas. It's ultimately my primal drives have been affected in a very powerful way. In other words, I, my seichel may be playing here a destructive role because as a result of my negative thinking, I label you as a lion. Imagine, imagine. Somebody tells me, a lion just came in to your house. <laughs> I'm not going to continue giving this class, right? <laughs> I'm going to be pretty terrified. I'm laughing because it's a little, you know, outlandish, but I'm just, you know, a lion is in the room. But let's say you see a lion in the room. If you see a lion in the room, you have to scream and you got to run away and you got to, I don't know what to do. <laughs> if you have a gun, use it. If you see a lion in the room. But one second, why are you so afraid of lions? Why are you so afraid of lions? Why don't you just say, oh, there's a lion, that's great. There's a cat, there's a lion, there's a puppy. And the answer is because lions kill. <laughs> so what? I want to live. I want to live. So now listen to me. The idea that there's a lion in the room is coming from the fact that unfortunately my mind is traumatized. My brain is traumatized. And therefore, even when there's no lion in the room, I am screaming, lion, 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 lion. It's like the fire alarm. I once heard a therapist, a psychiatrist, a neuroscientist explain what trauma, what trauma does to the brain. They said, you remain stuck in your amygdala. The amygdala is the reptilian brain, the most basic part of the brain that basically is responsible for survival, fight or flight. And it's extremely alert to danger. Now, when there's real danger, it's amazing. But what happens if the fire alarm in your house never goes off? So even when there's no fire, it's still sounding. So two o'clock in the morning, every single night, you hear a fire alarm and you're running out of the house. The fire alarm is not a bad thing. When there's a lion in the room, it's so important to have that alarm. But when there's no lion in the room, the amygdala is still screaming, lion, lion, fire, 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 wolf, like the story, wolf, wolf, wolf. Do you get what I'm saying? So the idea that I'm afraid of a lion and I'm screaming is because of my midas. It's because of my primal drive. That's not bad. That's good. <laughs> Thank God. The challenge is that there has been a disruption in the flow. And because of my experiences in life, these primal drives are being triggered in such a powerful way, but in the wrong context, in the wrong situations, because of wrong information, because there's no seamlessness, there's no flow, there's been an interruption. Question. If the ultimate goal is for Hashem to dwell in the lower worlds, how does personal reward in heaven come into the picture? It's a good question, but it's beyond today's sheer. I don't understand. If the purpose is for God to be in the lower world, how does that connect to the Mimer? Great question. And the answer is because that's really what it's about. 
having God in the lower worlds means allowing the full connection and alignment between my own Ein Seif into my most basic lowest elements, back into my pettiness. In other words, my emotions, my visceral reactions, right? All of those which are coming post-seichel, post-machshava, can they all be aligned with Ein Seif? That's the work, to allow that flow, that seamless flow, where the divine, which means the core of all, can find a home in my brain and in my heart. That's Diri B'Tachtayim in a very personal way. Very good questions. I didn't even get to the website questions because I was doing the, the, the Zoom questions. On the website, we have another six questions. Everybody could look at them. And I thank you very, very much. So this, this concludes the Mimer. It's hard for me to say concluding the Mimer because I don't know that such a Mimer you could easily conclude. But uh, this concludes at least one version, one rendition, or one attempt of going through this incredible Mimer of the Rebbe, Shlach 1955, Tavshin Tesvav, based on a Mimer of Shlach Tofresh Ayin Dalad, 1914 of the Rebbe Rashab, Fifth Chabad Rebbe, a few weeks before the World War I broke out. Parshas Baloischan Shlach Tofresh Ayin Dalad, 1914. On that Mimer, this Mimer is based. I wish you all a beautiful day, a meaningful day, a wonderful Shabbos. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.